With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Jerome Corsi, and today is Tuesday. It's May 2nd, 2023. And again, a, a, a lot of news today. Let's start right away with the collapse again of, of First Republic Bank. The, um, this is now officially a bigger banking collapse in terms of the whole banking system than the banking collapse of 2008. We've already surpassed. And if you'll recall, 2008, 2009 was the very deep recession that was caused by the collapse of the subprime real estate market. When people were getting loans on houses that they couldn't afford and they were put into securities and the securities failed, the banks held the loans as assets and the banks began failing when their assets failed. So collectively, we've had now three big banks that have collapsed in 2023. Uh, they've had more assets, these three banks that collapsed, than all 25 banks that collapsed in 2008. And uh, that's pretty frightening when you think about it. But the point is that the banking collapse of 2023 is far from over. Now, if we take a look at what happened in this a collapse of uh, First Republic Bank, J.P. Morgan is probably the winner on this one. They came in, J.P. Morgan Chase, and basically bought the bank, but they only bought the good assets. So they got about $92 billion in deposit, a million, billion in deposits, billion, which includes the um, $30 billion that it and other banks put into First Republic last month. The bank is taking on $173 billion in loans and $30 billion in securities. But the federal uh, FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, agreed to absorb most of the bad loans and uh, also provided J.P. Morgan with a very favorably priced $50 billion line of credit in order to get through absorbing this, this crisis bank. Uh, so the bank is looking, uh, J.P. Morgan is going to come out of this with a gain of about $2.6 billion. And um, it's going to have about $2 billion in integration costs over the next 18 months, taking all these First Republic Bank branches and making them into Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase branches. But the acquisition is probably going to add about $500 million of profit to J.P. Morgan. 
The loser is the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. It's going to absorb about $13 billion in losses. So in other words, the public, that, that's taxpayers, of course, or printing money. But again, it's, it, this is an economic disaster when you really appreciate uh, what's going on with this. And I want to cover one other aspect of it, which is equally important, and that is the shareholders are the big losers. They got virtually wiped out. Uh, there's some, I've got a couple of interesting uh, charts here, but what you can see is that people who held the stock, the stock went down dramatically, very fast. The bank did not have a run on it like Silicon Valley Bank did. It just had immediately people were knowing their deposits were going to be taken care of. Janet Yellen said even the unsecured deposits will be covered. But the shareholders and stockholders got what they call bailed. You get bailed out, you're recovered. You get bailed in, you get thrown to the wolves. So they got bailed in. Uh, they, They mostly had been wiped out on Friday evening by one of the most spectacular stock plunges in stock market history. And so were the unsecured subordinated bank notes, which is about $800 million. Uh, and these notes were trading at less than $0.02 cents on the dollar. So they are, they're a total loss. The, the shareholders, the people who invested in this bank are the losers, and the treasury is the losers. It's one of the biggest bailouts and we're now kind of going into a bailout culture that uh essentially is putting the losses to the public we absorb the losses but if you take a look at i've got a couple of charts on here if you take a look at what happened is that these bank notes which is the uns the subordinated unsecured subordinated means it's not at the top of the chart it's it's lower in the chart and getting paid off in a bankruptcy Unsecured means it's got no collateral with it, so there's no way to call assets to when the bond goes bad, when the bond can't be paid. And the, if you see the chart, they just the the value of these notes just fell right off the charts, and so also the bank shares just fell right off the charts. I mean, this is a bank that you know had very good values. Again, what's happening? These banks are banks that are, by the way, are very heavily in uh, the ESG, this um, environmental uh, investing or environmental loan preferences for climate change, uh, these banks are getting hit the hardest because, again, they had assets which were not economically priced. They were politically preferred because they're ideologically correct. Now, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, by the way, has also <clears throat> plunged $171 billion uh, in the five weeks since, when, since this bailouts have started. So the Federal balance sheet is now down significantly, and the Federal Reserve is, is quietly continuing this quantitative easing. They're basically continuing to buy federal debt and uh, it's in the background. The Federal Reserve is meeting these next couple of days, today and tomorrow, Federal Open Market Committee, which is the one that sets the interest rates. And I'm expecting they will have another interest rate increase. Uh, they Essentially, the Federal Reserve wants to slow down economic activity in order to control inflation. In other words, Fed 
in a sense, wants to cause a recession. Well, I don't think they have to worry too much about it because recession's in motion. But with more interest rates, they're just going to pile on. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's going to make the recession even more difficult. And as the Fed is in such a dire situation here with having all these losses and its own asset base, by the way, which includes all these treasuries with very low interest payments to them. They're getting very low interest on these uh, treasuries that they're holding as assets because they were all issued when the Federal Reserve, many of them were, when the Federal Reserve was having zero interest rates in the Obama years to stimulate economic growth for a Democratic president. At the same time, Janet Yellen is saying that we are the deadline for the federal government to go bankrupt unless we raise the debt ceiling and allow the treasury to just print more treasury bonds, which we'll buy through the Fed, completely inflationary. So we're going into a stagflation. We're going into a stagnant economic growth with the Fed increasing interest rates, and that will further depress economic activity. Mortgages will cost more. The um, companies are going to, I saw another whole round of layoffs being announced. There's layoffs starting now on Wall Street and in the banking industry. And so if we go to our next story, uh, and again, today is not going to be a day of the best news economically, but again, I want, this is the truth central. We're going to tell you what's going on, what is the truth. And the truth is that home mortgages were, were suffering Again, another whole decline in the mortgage market. But Janet Yellen is saying, I'll get to that in a minute when I cover it a little more thoroughly, but let's do the home loans first. The, um, we, we have a housing bubble, basically, in America. And Chris, if you can show that article and the, and the chart. The chart here is, I think, very interesting. If you can scroll down the article and get to this chart. Now, the chart, what the chart shows is that essentially we've had two housing bubbles. So there was one housing bubble, which was around 2002 to 2005 or six, when we were financing these subprime mortgages, the people were buying houses, and the, the next housing bubble came from 2020 to 2023 after the economy was starting up and people were moving out of the cities. I live in New Jersey, and people were moving from New York. And for a while, New Jersey properties were being sold instantly. In fact, New Yorkers were offering more than the asking price to get houses they wanted. Now, what's happening is that a whole group of cities here, uh, this housing bubble is now bursting. If you look at that chart, you can see what happened after 2006 to 2007. We went into a deeply depressed housing market. Below the chart is not good here. Below the chart means housing prices are dropping. The, uh, they're harder to sell because interest rates are higher. And we're just starting that where the green arrow is on that chart is where we are today. 
we're just now going into the the housing market crash. Uh, and it's happening in San Francisco, Seattle, even San Diego, Portland, Oregon, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Denver. I mean, it, this is a massive downturn in prices. So, you, and also more difficult to finance because again, interest rates are higher. So at five or 6%, a 30 year fixed mortgage is going to cost a lot more than in, in, in terms of monthly mortgage payments than it would at 2% interest on the house. So it, again, these are all factors which tend to compound and to produce the issues of pretty much massive economic downturn, which is what we're going into. Now, when we cover the issue of the debt ceiling, of course, it's very politically charged. And you had Kevin McCarthy come out with a bill in the House. The House generally initiates spending bills, uh, according to the Constitution. And um, Janet Yellen is saying, essentially, that the tax revenues that the federal government is getting right now from income tax coming in, the income tax date was just last month in April, uh, is slow and, and not nearly what it was a year ago. So the, the federal government does not have the money coming in that it needs. So now it's going to have to raise the debt ceiling. And uh, we're already at $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. You know, again, if we go to $40 trillion uh, in national debt, we will certainly exceed the gross domestic product of the United States. And paying off the interest on this debt, especially in higher interest rate environment, is going to get very costly. So all these factors are compounding. And it's again, uh, Chris, if you'll show the uh, Swiss America, well, we are adding sponsors this week, by the way. We'll have a couple more to really talk about. But the Swiss America which has been a long-term partner with me for since 2004 and has this walking Liberty half dollar offer. These are beautiful coins. They are about 90% silver. They're not minted anymore. The coins we get minted today are very tinny. They're, they're hardly metal quality at all. If you fill out this form, you'll get contacted by Swiss America. You can buy up to 250 of these coins at basically what they are worth in terms of silver. It's a great offer. Silver, I think, is going to appreciate as a percentage more rapidly than, than gold. Gold's at about $2,000 an ounce. Silver is more like $30 an ounce. Silver will get to 60 faster than gold will get to 4000 But what, Sw what Swiss America does is they're consultative selling. You'll talk with some very experienced counselors who've been in the business a long time. They'll actually get gold, silver, platinum, you'll get the mineral either in coins or, you know, the bullion bars or however you want it, but you won't get certificates. You'll actually have in your hands a tangible value. And with the dollar going the way the dollar is going right now, uh, I'm not recommending that anybody be very confident about the dollar. Chris, would you like to comment so far on what we've talked about? I can tell you this. I had a cold the other day and I invested in bullion to help me feel better. But that's well, chicken bullion. That's a different story. Uh, on the other hand, these banks that are falling, and you bring up a point that you've brought up a few times in the past shows, it's kind of been glossed over by news organizations or anybody else because no one wants to talk about it. 
but it's what these banks are spending their money on is, is where they're lending. Remember, this same thing happened with the old credit crunch. It's what, where the banks were spending their money. These ninja loans destroyed, basically destroyed the market and destroyed credit 14 years later. We knew it was going to happen. Nobody talked about it. It was actually brought up on the congressional floor in the early, was it 1994? Was yeah, that? 1994, uh, yeah, that's yep. right. And those who brought it up were shouted down as you pick whatever ism it is at that point. Right now, the idea is these banks are spending money on these PC causes. They, they have these bloated DEI departments, first off, like a lot of businesses are forced to have now. That's an issue. We're paying for that. Having Also, also having said that, the they're loaning out to the new Soliandra. Uh, I pronounce it Soliandra. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong, but they're, they're, they're loaning money to these green companies that aren't very stable. They're not making money, and the money can't come back to the banks. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem is, right? But nobody talks about it because well, it's just the it, bank crash, it's and it's somebody else's fault. Right? Not politically correct, as you say. I mean, the, the, the problem is that if you're going to invest, it's an economic decision. It's just, it's just business. If you start ideologically investing, then you're going for things that you prefer because of values that may or may not have the same economic return uh, as a just hard calculated economic investment. So again, it costs something to do this value investing. And uh, if it gets to be to a massive amount or when things begin to collapse economically, this becomes another anchor that takes the ship down. And again, uh, I'm not making a value statement here. I mean, I'm just basically talking pure economics. And the idea of the ESG investing is that there's a cost for it. Now, I've also covered the climate issues very extensively and my book on it, the climate, uh, you know, the, the truth about, and again, we're doing everything we can to tell the truth here. I mean, this is, this is what, reality of what's happening, uh, the truth about uh, energy, global warming, and climate change. By the way, there was, I didn't post it, but there was a very interesting piece that Mark Morano was running by a le very legitimate climate scientist. It's on Climate Depot, which I follow it very closely. I dedicated my book to Mark Morano. Uh, he's a good friend, and he, he's been a stalwart on this climate issue. But this is Professor Len Mart. Bengston, who is the head of research, the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasting through 1981. Uh, he's got an eminent qual uh, qualifications. He was the director of the Max Planck Institute for Me Meteorology in Hamburg. Uh, he was also a professor at the University of uh, Reading. Uh, he directed the International Space Science Institute in Bern, Switzerland. And what he's saying basically is that this target here for 1.5 uh, degrees, you know, 1.5 degrees Celsius, this target where the, we're supposed to, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, says we have to be no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial standards because our whole idea is the industrial age was the burning of hydrocarbon fuels, and that is hydrocarbon fuels are greenhouse gases which cause the Earth's temperature to rise. And this professor is basically saying, which I've been saying for a long time, I agree with him, is that the, the, the we, there's no clear relationship 
between carbon dioxide and temperature. It's a very complicated uh, relationship because we've had much more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere geologically in geological time when we've had ice ages. There's basically, there's no simple link between greenhouse gas and the Earth's temperature. And even the IPCC's reports show this, although they try to erase it. And much of the non-Western world is really suffering from a lack of energy. So there, there's no resu- reliable results showing that the world you know, can achieve this goal or that it would make any difference if we did. And if we did achieve the goal, it's going to mean a much reduced standard of living, especially for those in the non-Western world. Uh, the third world will pay the price again of this uh, ideological decision. Now, let's move on because I do want to cover a number of these stories today in some depth. And um, let's go to the next one here, which I think is, again, this story on the BRICS. The BRIC nations are holding a meeting in South Africa. Now, the BRIC nations are expanding. And the BRIC nations are uh, basically an anti-U.S. bloc. Uh, It's now Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. That's where they get the B-R-I-C-S. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Well, now what's happening is that you're getting a large number of countries that want to join the BRIC nations. And that's for several reasons. One is that they are growing and expanding. Their economies are doing well. Of course, both Russia and China do not have this illusion that they can get along without hydrocarbon fuels. But now you've got Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Algeria, Egypt, Bahrain, and Iran have formally asked to join the BRICS nations uh, at, at its annual summit, which is now going to be held in South Africa. Nineteen nations have expressed interest in merging. Uh, this is an emerging markets group. You know, still the Chinese and Russian economies are not the size of the United States economy, but while ours is, looks like we're going through a c- controlled demolition, you know, when you take a building down, we're t- every step we're taking here economically under the Biden administration seems to be calculated to make the economy worse. I mean, there's no control on federal spending. And with the discretionary spending, uh, a smaller part, part of the budget, non-discretionary is, part of the budget you can't control its expansion like social security or medicare and as we continue to expand our payouts we're finding that we're essentially having increasing deficits which result in bigger debt now the BRIC nations are going a different different way they are having currencies which are increasingly backed by gold they want to de-dollarize they want to move away from the dollar and the dollar by the way I think as a standard of international trade is rapidly going to be uh, diminishing. So we're in a situation where we're declining and the rest of the world is looking to go with the BRICS to be in a much more position position for economic growth. And when you look at the size of these BRIC nations in relationship to the G7, the BRIC nations are going to surpass the U.S.-led G7 states in economic growth expectations very quickly. G7 used to be the strongest countries economically in the world, and their growth 
their economies was presumed. Now we're going into a, a, a period of time where it doesn't look like the United States is going to be able to grow. We may have negative growth. We may actually shrink our economy. So the BRIC nation states count for, account for over 40% of the global population and around a quarter of global GDP. All right, let's go to the next story here, which I want to, I think is also extremely important right now. And that is the North American Union is back. Now, if you'll remember in 2010, I was covering the Security and Prosperity Partnership in North America. Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America is a, was at that time a Bush, George W. Bush idea. He was going to have the the three countries, it was going to be the United States, Mexico, and Canada. We were going to merge our, our regulatory structures. We're going to create a North American market, and we were going to restructure our infrastructure, our transportation infrastructure. They wanted this trans-Texas corridor, which was going to be this enormously wide highway. Uh, they were going to bring container ships in from China through deep water ports in Mexico, and be able to, an intermodal, which means you put the cargo into containers. Containers then can be carried on ships, which is how they get to the United States from China. Then they can be put on trains, and that's when you need a a North American railroad structure, and that's being put together again. And uh, you, you bring the containers to warehouses or to local stores, by trucks. So it's intermodal because the container is carried by ships, by train, and by truck. You have three different modes of transportation involved. And if you take a look at this map, the thing about this map is it's very clear that we are now looking at a, a structure of a, a continental railroad system. It's being put together here by three railroads, the Canadian National the Union Pacific, and the Group Mexico, which I've covered for years. And the, the railroad will go from Vancouver all the way across to Halifax in Canada, hitting most of the major cities. Most of the major cities in Canada are along the border, going from Vancouver to Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, uh, across to Toronto, Montreal, over to Halifax. And then through the United States, right through the heartland and down into Mexico. Uh, This intermodal transportation system will mean that we can bring in these containers cheaply and uh, it will essentially uh, allow all these distribution points, all these major cities, the terminal for the Canadian National, it's going to be across Canada, connecting all their major cities, in the United States, it will be down through the corridor, and the uh, again Kansas City will f- fit in to be a major, major point of of um, entry in the United States. Actually, we, at one point there was going to be a Mexican customs office in in Kansas City, but in the locations in Mexico, Monterey, Mexico City, etc., all these are going to be connected together, and. Um, the shipping of international cargo, which means essentially the uh, outsourcing of American jobs again in manufacturing, has been going on now for 
at least 25 years. And uh, I fought it because these, this is how the European Union was created. It was first just a coal and steel agreement. It was just going to be a trade union. Uh, and that's where Jean Monnet, who was its architect, knew that eventually it would emerge into what it is today, which is a uh, supranational government organization that claims sovereignty over the individual countries. And again, this is a movement toward loss of sovereignty and towards open borders and towards loss, losses of jobs and the economic status of the United States will be weakened as the rest of the world will be gaining. Chris, do you want to comment? Well, they pulled this, uh, as you said, for several decades at this point. They were always under the candy-coated uh, uh, acronyms like NAFTA, which was very close to what the North American Union was going to be. North American Free Trade Association. Right. Exactly. Funny thing, I remember talking to you about this when I was hosting a morning show back in the early 2000s. So this I, I idea of, the, uh, of this whole North American Union and this major highway system from the ports in Mexico all the way to the northernmost uh, north, northwest and northeast Canada is not new. We've been fighting this for, as you said, a very, very long time. This can happen. The only good thing is that, well, maybe traveling between national hockey league teams is going to be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> I'll still take airplane. They're not going to. They're not going to be on the trains. Well, I am happy the Devils are going to the second round. That's good <laughs> well, that's because you're not a New York Rangers fan. Oh no, not even close. Uh, especially <laughs> after 1994, I despise them. <laughs> All right, we won't get into sports too much. Uh, the The Bruins didn't do very well either. The hockey. No! <laughs> that probably pleased you as well. Ah, well, maybe it makes it a little easier, but maybe Florida's dangerous now. Well, it, it's going to be a very interesting playoff series. Hockey's getting faster, faster, and uh, younger, and it, it's a it's a very different game than it was in the decades ago. It's more entertaining, and uh, it's very popular, but we're not here to talk about to hockey today. The uh, North American Union, I think, idea, this this internationalization, uh, is a very strong move, and it's it's hard to stop. And uh, the concerns I have are the loss of individual freedom and the loss of economic freedom, which depends upon individual initiative and entrepreneurial activity. Uh, the One of the reasons our banks are suffering so much is the Dodd-Frank regulations, which were imposed by Congress uh, to change banking, have been really punishing on banks. They limit banks' ability to do good economic investing or making loans. There's so many regulations. We're getting hamstrung by regulations everywhere we look. Uh, the electric vehicles are going to be mandated by the EPA, not by Congress, changing the tailpipe uh, requirements on cars. These measures, while they again seem to be, you know, regulations seem to be motivated by bureaucrats who are having their idea that their idea of the common good uh, that they're not, they're not motivated by economics. They're not made, motivated by the laws of economics and the laws of economics still control. You know, you can have all the decisions you want to have regulations on banks that require their lending to follow certain guidelines, but those guidelines be, you know, whatever they are. But if those guidelines are not, economically motivated, if they're politically motivated or politically correct, as a result, the banks are hamstrung and they can't make the investments they need to make in order to run themselves as businesses. So we're, we're setting up where the only way the United States has been able to function in the last 40 years 
has been to create bubbles. And we have create bubbles with excess spending. I guess one of the lessons we learned out of the Depression was instead of letting the money supply contract, they increasing the money supply makes economic activity boom. But right now, the money supply is contracting, even though we're printing all these dollars. Because again, the value of the dollar is decreasing. And um, it's a situation which I think I'm, I want people to be prepared for the fact that we're going to have economic difficulties. The best thing you can do in economic difficulties is pay debt as much as you can, get, get rid of debt as fast as possible. Uh, the, one of the good things about this is that we'll go to the last moment here to on my vital C, which is another sponsor. And by the way, please do uh, support our sponsors. We, um, my vital C is a very remarkable molecule. It's carbon 60. It uh, has longevity properties. If you go to the sponsors at the top bar, the black bar under the truth central and pull down our sponsors, you'll see my vital C it's um, great for longevity, for energy, sleeping. It's antioxidant. It, it has remarkable uh, properties in the body, uh, getting rid of the what they call free radicals. That's a complex idea, but it is yeah, they, this carbon sixty has extra. Um, it, it, it combines such that it kind of eats up the free radicals. Free radicals are these. Dis deranged or slightly unstable uh, molecules that develop in the body and they become very destructive. De deoxidation is extremely important for longevity. Uh, they also have good skin products. They've got hair products. Uh, I've been taking them for four years and I can swear by them. I think um, I'm probably uh, feeling better and doing more healthy than I have been for a long time. I've gone through tremendous stresses, as those of you who followed me over the years know, uh, the Mueller investigation, et cetera, and, uh, and all that whole issue with the Russian collusion. At any rate, I was not indicted. I got through that. But again, these are very, very stressful times. My vital C is also for pets, cats and dogs, and they love it. Uh, it, is in, it gives you energy. And if you try it, I think you'll find it makes you feel better. Just... Use any of these um, buttons here where you can go to the cart. You can you please use things through uh, the Truth Central that benefits the show. And these buttons are all designed to go directly to the websites of our sponsors where you can uh, pay for, get, if you want gold and silver with Swiss America or My Vital C with uh, get some carbon 60. I strongly recommend it. Okay, so today is. Um, Tuesday, it's May 2nd, 2023, is Dr. Jerome Corsi and uh, the truthcentral.com. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're broadcasting every weekday. In the end, God always wins. God will win here too. Maybe a difficult time we're going to go through, but uh, living here in this human condition is difficult. But we've been through hard times before. We'll get through this one again. And uh, as I say, it's going to take some character. It's going to take some resolve. Uh, but um, you should know the truth of what's going on. And we're trying to tell you that. Um, in the end, God will always win. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless. God bless.